0: This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. Welcome to How We See It. I'm John Morris. In this segment of our program, we're going to hear an interview I recorded a few years ago with Father Leo Paddlinghug. Father Leo was a priest of Baltimore who was known for... His Grace Before Meals Ministry. Father Leo was featured on the Food Network a number of years ago in a sort of a food throwdown with renowned chef personality Bobby Flay. Father Leo was coming to Tampa as the keynote speaker for the second annual Celebration of Life Gala, benefiting the Ministries of Mercy programs of Catholic Charities. The gala is November 5th, starting at 6 o'clock at St. Lawrence's Higgins Hall. Tickets and information can be found at ccdosp.org. If you haven't heard Father Leo, well, you are in for a treat. Here's some of our conversation Grace Before Meals. It is an international apostolate
1: to bring families back around the dinner table. And the charitable portion of that is the table foundation where we seek to elevate culture and family life
0: one meal at a time. It's important to have meals together. Last night was the first night this week that I had my whole family together to eat, and it was nice.
1: Sure. And you use the word nice and important, and I would clarify it by saying it's necessary because it is the one moment where the entire family can actually come together together and spend that qualitative time to show that, number one, you care about each other enough that you're going to spend time with them, and two, that you care about each other enough that you want to pay attention to what each other people are eating. And I'm not just talking about food, but I'm talking about with the conversations. What are people feeding their minds with? What are they feeding their souls with? We can even talk about God and politics all at the same dinner. Imagine that.
0: I noticed in your bio that you— continue to grow your restaurant expertise and your cooking style Hmm. from experience there in, in Italy.
1: That's right. I took actually some cooking courses during some of my breaks as well. And even as a priest, I would even take some classes, become friends with a lot of chefs. I never thought that this was going to become an international apostolate. Who would think this kind of stuff? But it was only because I think I was trying to pay attention to where I was experiencing God. And obviously, we experience God in all of the sacraments, at the sacred liturgy, but I also experience God at dinners, just with my friends, with uh, the, those men who are now priests and bishops, and we can't remove that scriptural experience of Christ becoming very real to people just by walking into their homes and saying to that little short tax collector Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat, you know, can you imagine that God wants to break down the barriers and just have a meal with you. Well, that's exactly what the book of Revelation say. He knocks on the
0: door of our hearts. If we open,
1: he will enter, he will have supper with us. You can't get any more intimate than that.
0: Dining with the tax collectors, as you said, or sharing a simple meal, it's certainly important, and there's a reason why so many food references in the Bible.
1: Yeah, and so that's my third book is called Epic Food Fight, A Bite-Sized History of Salvation. And I trace salvation history, and I see how food was central to salvation history. If you think just the reason why we even need a Savior is because of the forbidden fruit, we will see heaven as the eternal banquet. And everything in between, from the covenants to the plagues, all had to do with food, even to the point where Jesus' last words were, I thirst. And his first words... After he resurrected, were, have you anything to eat? So there is real theology in food, which is what this book is about—a theology of food. And I know people laugh at it because they think, "Oh, well, I've heard of the theology of the body." And I tell them, "Well, before God made the body, God made food. And if you believe in the Eucharist, He actually becomes it for a reason." Father Leo, where are you originally from? The Philippines. What kind of cuisine? Do they have... uh, Uh, Okay, yeah. So Philippines is probably a very unique cuisine for people, but it's kind of the first fusion, obviously having the influences of Asia, but we were actually colonized by Spain and heavily influenced by America. So the the cuisine of today is just anything that you would eat in America, but very marinated, influenced also by kind of the umami
0: of the Asian flavors. You still have family over there? Yeah, relatives. Who was the cook in your family growing up?
1: My mother, certainly. She was a homemaker par excellence. My dad is a physician, and he would come home late, but we always ate together as a family. And because I was the youngest and therefore the favorite child in my family, <laughs> uh, I did a lot of the cooking with my mom. And I remember there were many times, because you know Filipinos are known for their hospitality and a lot of food. Even though it's a poor country, they will put on a spread like you can't believe my mom was that way. She always welcomed guests every weekend. And I remember making fun and saying, this is like hotel paddling hug. You know <laughs> I mean? This is like a hotel where we're constantly bringing people in. And, you know, my mom and dad taught me early on that hospitality is what heals people. And I think our world, especially today, and Lent is a great time to experience it. We need to experience hospitality. We need to show it. We need to receive it. And we need to be healed. how many brothers and sisters? There's five of us that were born. Four of us are living. One died before me. When did you first feel like, you know, the priesthood's calling me? Oh, gosh, not until late teens, you know, even early 20s, I would say. Uh, It was not in my trajectory to become a priest. I'm certainly not the most perfectly qualified camp. My brother— he should be the priest because he's the nice one in the family, <laughs> but he's got seven impediments: his wife and six kids. So I'm it. <laughs> right. But really, it was it started when I went to a parish mission, which is why I do so many missions these days, just guest speaking everywhere. And this priest really challenged me uh, to understand what the mass was, and that was really the invitation to understand more deeply what the liturgy is about, and. Even to this day, it does not bore me for a second. Even when I'm preaching in a boring way, the liturgy in and of itself is just a fascinating experience of God's eternal love
0: for us. In the trajectory, as you mentioned a moment ago, that we're in in the United States, with everything pulling us in different directions, how do we get out of that trap? I appreciate the question, but the is in the question. Just get out of the trap, you
1: know, because who's in charge of the schedule, you or the schedule? And so what the whole movement of Grace Before Meals has done is kind of reinvigorate the priorities of life. If, if literally a family were to just sit down together and write down, how do we become a family, a better family? How are they going to do it? Well, that's why the first book, Grace Before Meals, just tries to bring back feast days. The second book I wrote is called Spicing Up Married Life. Instead of doing one-year anniversaries, monthly dinner dates. I'm just trying to create intentionality in the meal, the epic food fight, a relationship with food and how God became food. And now this fourth book that I'm going to be finishing this year is called Saving the Family. I'm going to teach people how to eat together. It might sound so commonsensical, but I'm just so glad that I have the backing of psychologists, psychotherapists, sociologists, and anyone who cares about human development. You can't develop your family unless you're willing to develop the discipline of the regular family meal. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a little gimmick or a shtick. And everyone thinks, oh, how cute, Father Leo's on TV cooking. (laughs) No, dude, I'm doing this because this is going to save your family, for God's sake. This is what's going to get them to heaven. And if anything, at least get them
0: through this life. You had mentioned, uh, and I sort of joked back about politics at the dinner table. And some would say... One thing you don't talk about during the over the Thanksgiving meal is politics and, and religion because that could and cause— And sports. Man. But people seem to clash sometimes. Yeah. That's the general rule of thought. And in this society today, especially today, it's almost like you're going to be attacked for stating your opinion. Yep. Why is that? Well, because I think we
1: don't know how to have conversations anymore because we don't take the time to create the forum— for conversations to occur spontaneously. We're forcing conversations on people with like therapy sessions, for God's sakes. You know, if a family comes together and eat, it's truly a spontaneous, very natural, very organic opportunity for the for the family to talk. And I, I, I half-jokingly say, if you make good food, then your kids have to listen to you because you can't talk with your mouth full. So make really good food. Let the food do the talking. Food and good drink softens hearts. It opens, what do they call food? It's kind of like the drink, the elixir or the, uh, you know, kind of like, yeah, elixir for the soul, and it helps to loosen the tongue. And granted, there should be some heavy topics, but at the same time, not every meal has to be a conversion opportunity. Why can't it just simply be a time to practice what we preach? We love each other. We're just going to spend time with each other. And that's why I think my movement, Grace Before Meals, gives not only a, a practical but a very realistic approach to what the meal needs to be in the modern world, 2017.
0: How did the cable networks, these food networks and cooking channel and so forth, how have they helped springboard your ministry, or have they? Oh, gosh,
1: absolutely. People knew who I was on a local level because I would give talks and I would get invited, and then the internet which is still a very recent thing in the 90s, they started to learn more about Grace Before Meals and this cooking priest. And that's when the Food Network eventually heard of what I did. And in 2009, they invited me to talk about Grace Before Meals. It turned out to be a surprise cooking competition with Bobby Flay on the Food Network Throwdown, and I beat him. And that propelled me to a level I never expected. Two million unique visitors on that one night went to my website. It almost crashed it just because that many people were watching that show and wanted to learn about this crazy Filipino cooking priest.
0: What was the winning meal?
1: Fajitas. Father Leo's Funky Fusion Steak Fajita with holy guacamole and screaming sour cream.
0: (laughs) All right. I'll take two. What (laughs) makes a a good fajita? Oh, gosh. It's whatever you— it's honestly... I mean, is it the meat? Is it the fresh ingredients? Or, so uh, obviously fajitas are that.
1: technically supposed to be skirt steak, but I used, I used flank. It can take a marinade better. Bobby's was absolutely delicious, but I think mine was a little different because I used fusion flavors. And I was simply saying, you can create something amazing with the simple ingredients in your kitchen, just put it together in this ratio. And it really – it took me back to when I went to Hawaii and I ate for the first time galbi Korean pork ribs. Mm-hmm. And that flavor is just so filled with umami that I decided to recreate that for a Mexican-style dish. And that's why it's called a fusion kind of taco. And that's what the judges liked enough that I beat him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so most of us don't get to see these uh, or get to up close with reality television. Yeah. How much do the producers play into the finale of these things, or is it is it totally straight? What happens is a half-hour show took about two days to
1: film, which is something that we as Catholics need to pay attention to, but they do it in such a way that they take as much footage, which is why if you were to like watch one minute of just a show, you would see at least four or five different clips because they're constantly changing the image around, which means... Most of the work is done by the editors Mm and taking a massive amount of material and then just focusing it. Now, they've got a method to do it. So what you saw was a result in a half an hour of two days of filming. Now, were the producers involved? Yeah, but not to influence the outcome or to make me do something I didn't want to do. They just simply said, what do you do? And then they gave me cues to do it. It is the one of the most humbling things to be on TV and on radio, mm-hmm. because it's hurry up to wait, and then you actually hear yourself and you sound like an idiot. <laughs> you see yourself <laughs> on TV, <laughs> and you think, "Oh my gosh, the camera does add five extra pounds to you." It's, it's humbling, and I just think that we need to have more Catholics in media.
0: Again, Father Leo will be the keynote speaker at the Celebration of Life Gala, November 5th at Higgins Hall in Tampa proceeds from the event benefit the ministries of mercies of Catholic charities here in our diocese get your tickets today at ccdosp.org you're listening to how we see it a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world if you missed any of today's program you'll find a copy on spirit fm soundcloud page there's a link to it at myspiritfm.com now back to our program